I'm sure you don't need me to tell you this, but the world is full of problems today. Big problems. Um, and increasing, as I see it. Let me give you a list of words that are not nice words, but they characterize something of the society in which we live. Child abuse. Crime, cruelty, death, pride, despair, politics, <clears throat> religion, loneliness, murder, earthquakes, suicides, broken hearts. Know anybody that's got a broken heart? Go like this. We all do, don't we? Some of your hearts might be broken this morning. Rejection. Unforgiveness. Hopelessness. I don't know how, why there's so many of these words in the English language. They just keep coming up. Wars. Poverty. Selfishness. Greed. Hate. Fear. Violence, accidents, famines, misunderstandings, jealousy, envy, immorality, cheating, lying, natural disaster. I mean, it's just amazing how many of these words color the landscape of the world in which we live. In the midst of all these problems, Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God, the Son of Man, made this statement. I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Now that list doesn't sound like an abundant life to me. So <clears throat> we got a, a, a disconnect here. We've got a society, <clears throat> we've got our own hearts that condemn us. We have a world that is run by, listen to this, the God of this world, not God Almighty. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 says, the God of this world, that's the enemy of your soul. He's like a mad dog on a leash, and God gives him some slack every once in a while, but that's as far as he can go. But he's called the God of this world. <clears throat> what he wants to do is to deceive you to get you to think that this is normal, these words are normal. If I mention the word terrorist or terrorism, that's the new norm, someone said. I don't, I don't want that to be normal, but it's a world in which we live. I don't want child abuse to be normal. I, I don't want immorality to be normal, but listen to the scriptures, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. What were the days of Noah? Well, if you want the inspired commentary, read Genesis chapter 6. The imagination of man was only evil continually. Thank God for pockets of righteousness. Thank God for that. Thank God for a church, for uh, a group of people who still believe that the Bible is the word of God, 
who believe that it can be interpreted literally and that it changes hearts and changes souls because of the message, but it's pretty tough out there. This is like an oasis here this morning. So we've got a disconnect. We've got a world around us and in us that, uh, that, that somehow only brings discouragement. And then we've got the Lord Jesus saying, I'm come that you might have life. What's the problem? Why can't we jump the fence? Why can't we get over to the other side? Why haven't we enjoyed this abundant life that Christ died to give us? That'd be a good question. And there's one thing between us and it, and it's a three-letter word. It's the S word. Sin. It's, it's not hard to define. God puts up a sign and says, no trespassing. You know what we said? Let's go for it. That's what we say. Transgression. That's sin. Breaking God's laws, 1 John 3. All unrighteousness. Anything that's right and anything that's not right, that's sin. <laughs> anything. Uh, not doing good. If a man knows to do good and he doesn't do it, God says that's sin. Anything that's not of faith, boy, I don't know about you, but that just shoots holes in me. The just shall live by faith. And anything that's not of faith is sin. Goodness. So we, we got a world that's missing the mark, that's disobedience, that's transgressing, and evil, iniquity, wickedness, you name it, all of the above, S-I-N. The problem now is that Jesus said, I came to give you an abundant life, a really nice life, uh, a life where I can be your shepherd, your king, your savior, your friend. Well, we got a problem. It's called sin. But it's not too big of a problem for God. Thank God that his plan is bigger than our sin. If you have a Bible, we're going to turn to 1 Timothy. It's a great Christmas passage. <laughs> Some of you are counting, yeah, right, okay. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And verse 15. Great Christmas text. 1 Timothy 1 and 15. Let me read it for you. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and the writer who was, as we know, the Apostle Paul who wrote the letter, the writer, Paul says, of whom I am chief. Christ Jesus came into the world. That's what this season's all about. Uh, you know, it's amazing to me how we have these little cliches and things that we say, and Jesus is the reason for the season. It's kind of nice, and it kind of rolls off, you know. But you know, I don't know, did you see that much anymore? It's kind of like, where'd that go? We used to say that, we used to think that, and now it's jingle bells and twinkle, twinkle, little star. I mean, I, I don't, you know, what's happening? We gotta be careful with this, but the Lord is the reason for the season. Now, 
there's several things we want to notice about this verse, and I could say this is a Christmas message. <clears throat> if I wasn't a Christian, and I wasn't planning on being a Christian, there'd be two days every year that I would never go to church. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I just wouldn't do it, because those two days guarantee my judgment. And you know what those two days are? Christmas and Easter. You see, he came into the world to save sinners. And he rose again from the dead to prove that his payment for sin was accepted by his father. It's done. The payment is made. But you see, God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, wherefore he has given assurance unto all men, and that he has raised him from the dead. <laughs> you can't have court if the judge is dead. <laughs> and God has raised him from the dead. And so Christmas and Easter, I think it's almost ironic that many times what we might call a nominal Christian, whatever that is, I'm not sure what that is, but we can say uh, a peripheral Christian or something, they'll go, well, you know, honey, it's Christmas. We should, we should go to church, you know, or it's Easter. Will you please go to church with me today? Oh, okay, I will, you know. I'm not sure exactly why that is, but folks, his birth, his death, and his resurrection are things that we are accountable for. He came to his own. We heard that earlier today in our remembrance of the Lord. But his own didn't receive him. But as many as did receive him. You see, that's the point, isn't it? There was no room in the end. Well, that's okay. There's still not a lot of room for him in society today. But this is a Christmas text. Listen to it again. It's a faithful saying, and it's worthy of all acceptation. What does that mean, a faithful saying? That means you can believe it. I mean, it's trustworthy. It's believable. You can count on it. You might say, yeah, yeah. Why? God said it. Do you know that in the very early verses of the book of Genesis, we have these words. And God said. Do you know in the last two verses of the book of Revelation, we got the Lord Jesus saying, I come quickly. So at the beginning of a big book, we got God is saying. At the end of a big book, we got the Lord Jesus saying, I'm coming quickly. All through that book, what do we have? The inspired, impeccable, inerrant word of the living God. This is not a novel, you know. This is not a book you read up, uh, pick up and, and read like any other book. Now, if you do that, and if you pick and choose, some people pick and choose. They go, well, you know, I, I believe this, but I can't believe that. Well, who's the judge now? You become the judge, right? And you're saying the Bible is not true because I don't believe this is true, and the Bible is true because, and we pick and choose, and all of a sudden you become the judge. God help us if I was the judge. <laughs> God help us if you were the judge. Uh, do yourself a favor. 
The, the whole thing's by faith, right? A man says, God, you show me and I'll believe. God says, no, you believe and I'll show you. That's the way God works, faith, always by faith, okay? Now what? I'm going to suggest for you, you need to take the book and believe it. There's a lot of things in this book I can't explain. A lot of things I don't understand, but I believe it. I believe, and whether I believe it or not doesn't change it. If it is true, let it be true. Some people say, well, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No, no, no. God said it, that settles it. <laughs> whether I believe it or not. And so in the beginning, God said, in the end, God said, this is a trustworthy, believable, you can count on it, saying. You see, there are a lot of voices, a lot of voices. You see, there are political voices. I don't know if anybody happened to watch the debate <clears throat> recently. Well, there were two debates recently, a Republican and a Democratic debate. You've never heard such things in your life. You can't make this stuff up. You can't. I promise, and I'm this, and I'm, they got eye problems. They got iPads and iPhone and I, I, I. They got it all. Me, me, me. That's what it is. I'll tell you who I'll vote for. You ready? No, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> oh, no. I would vote for a man or a woman who stood up and said, the world is in a problem and I have no clue how to fix it, but I'm going to call a day of prayer. We're going to read the word of God. We're going to ask God for help. Our dependence is totally on God. I'd vote for a person like that, if they meant it. Now, a lot of them will say that. I know that. Political voices, big promises. Hey, uh, we'll lower your taxes and we'll give everybody a rebate. How about that? That sounds really good, you know? Big promises, political voices today. How about professional voices today? Big promises, big counseling. Uh, how about corporate voices today? How about super PACs? I don't even know what that is, you know, but it's amazing how money talks today. Corporate voices, big money, big business, religious voices, God, heaven, uh, hope, uh, 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 all of your needs being met. Uh, God will, big, big things, big things. Uh, Hollywood. I, I'm going to really tell a tale on myself here, but I never watched Star Wars. <laughs> Isn't that bad? Like, I think you go, you never watched Star Wars? No, and I want to tell you something else. I've never, ever played a video game or a computer game of any kind. Now, I'll show you how dumb I am. I can't figure them out, I guess. But, you know. but listen, I did hear on the news just yesterday that this new Star Wars thing, they're dragging all the old guys back in to play their parts or something. I don't know what it is. But they sold $100 million worth of tickets in advance. Isn't that crazy? Hollywood, big stuff. And, and uh, along with uh, internet, of course, and, and the new media and advertisement and papers and newspapers and TV and all that stuff. But now, listen, the common people now have a voice. If you don't believe that, go to Chicago. They got a voice? People in the streets have a voice? Oh, yes, they do. 
and they are demanding. We're talking about all kind of voices, all kind of people saying things, many voices today, but you know, it is my personal opinion, they're not trustworthy voices. You, you can't count on them. I mean, you, you'd think after a while a politician would, would figure it out, you know. Uh, three years ago I said this, and they got that on tape, and then two years ago I said just the opposite, and they got that on video, and then over here and there. Well, let me tell you what it is. And everybody go, what? That guy didn't even, I mean, it's like no flinch. <laughs> like, it didn't even bother this. It's just off to the next promise. Folks, we got a trustworthy saying. We got something here you can take to the bank. We got something, listen to this, you can bet your eternal destiny on this. You can say, every man is a liar and God is truth. You can say, I don't care what happens to the world. I don't care what Putin does. I don't care what the terrorists do. I don't care what the president does. I don't care what the prime minister does. I don't care what the queen does. I've got something that God said, and God cannot lie. If he could lie, he wouldn't be God. Listen, if God asked you to do anything you couldn't do, you wouldn't want to work for God like that. If God said, now, I want you to do this today and then tomorrow, he said, no, that was just a joke. I don't want you to do that. I want, you'd say, I can't work for God like that. He never changes. His word is impeccable. I don't know exactly what translation is going to be, but it's going to be in a southern dialect. That I know. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the very son of God, is going to open this book in heaven. This book, is going to pass from time into eternity. Jesus said so. My word will never pass away. And one day we're going to have it. Get used to it. Read it. Study it. Uh, saturate yourself with it. Because this morning, it is a trustworthy saying. Now notice, not only is it trustworthy, but uh, notice this, it's worthy of all acceptation, all acceptance. What does that mean? Anybody can accept it? Anybody? Red or yellow, black or white? Educated, uneducated? You know, it's, it's kind of interesting that when it comes to the gospel message, it doesn't say faith comes by reading the word of God. Because a lot of people can't read. <laughs> it says faith comes by hearing. That's the reason Jesus said go and tell. Go and tell. So anybody. That's the reason people spend 20 years learning a language. So they can tell this tribal group over here that God loves them in their own language. And that Christ died. It is a saying that Anyone can believe it and everyone can accept it if they want to. It's trustworthy and you can do it. Now, what is the saying? Christ Jesus came into the world. Say, I told you it's a Christmas message. There it is right there. Christ Jesus came into the world. Christ, his messianic name, the Holy One, the Messiah came. Jesus, well, we've already talked about that earlier today, Emmanuel from uh, Matthew chapter 1, which being interpreted as God with us. 
Did you know that one day God stepped out of heaven in the person of his son in a human body, born of a virgin? We need to make a big deal of that. You know, we don't make a very good deal of that. We need to to make a really big deal of that. Virgins don't have babies. You know that. But one virgin had a baby. And it was absolutely miraculous. Never again. Never before. God's son steps onto planet earth born of a virgin. Now, timing is fairly significant. Just bear with me for a moment. We won't turn to all these passages, but just bear with me for a moment. When you come to Genesis chapter 3, you remember the Sin has already entered into the world. Adam and Eve. Well, not in that order. Eve and then Adam. That's the way it went. But sin entered in. And when God stepped back on the planet to question them, he didn't say, Eve, what have you done? He said, Adam, where are you? Establishing order. Establishing headship. Adam was accountable for his home. Matter of fact, he said that he was being judged because he had hearkened to the voice of his wife. Maybe if he'd have slapped the fruit Apple, orange, banana, I don't know, I'm sure what it was, but it was forbidden. If he'd have slapped it out of her hand and said, woman, let's get on our knees and, and ask God for mercy, we have sinned, things could have been different. But he heeded the voice of the woman. Some way, somehow, they had a conversation and he bought in on it. And she gave to Adam, who was with her, and he did eat. And sin entered in. And so God now begins to deal with sin. The serpent had come, the devil in the form of the serpent had come, and then when the uh, condemnation and the judgment is leveled out, he begins to say something like this, that there was going to be a great conflict, a war, right through time, not for all of eternity, that war will have an end, but through time, there was going to be a conflict, a great conflict, And that conflict was going to be between the seed of the serpent, which represented the evil, uh, the, the devil, the old dragon, the serpent himself, and all of his wicked host, the, the serpent and the seed of the serpent, and between the woman and the seed of the woman. So there's going to be a conflict. Matter of fact, it said that the seed of the serpent was going to bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. And that the seed of the woman was going to bruise the head of the seed of the serpent. That's Genesis 3.15. You go back and read that sometime. We believe, many of us believe, that that is probably the first reference to the Lord Jesus coming. Way back there, Genesis chapter 3.15. How long did it take for him to come? You read chapter 4, Adam knew his wife Eve and she bare a son. <gasps> must be the Messiah. Must be the, must be the one that's going to bruise the head, the death blow, the heel, not the death blow. <laughs> well, no, sorry, that wasn't it. How long did it take between Genesis 3.15 and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, some people don't get this, but it was only four days. Well, one day with the Lord's like a thousand years, right? 
and a thousand years like one day. But in the fullness of time, Galatians 4 and 4, in the fullness of time, was it four days or was it 4,000 years? See, it doesn't matter to God, but in the fullness of time, the Lord Jesus came forth, made of a woman, the seed of the woman, to redeem us who were under the law, to redeem us. Now, timing is fairly significant. This is a little trivia for you. William Ramsey in 1923 discovered in Turkey a Roman temple with this inscription in it. During the uh, uh, reign of Caesar Augustus, there were three tax collections. I don't know when the first one was, but the second one was to be four years before the birth of Christ. The third one was several years after his birth. So we got a problem here. We know that when they were required to go back to their hometown to sign up for this taxation, that's the reason that Joseph and Mary went back to Bethlehem. We got that. That's okay. God's using that. The problem is it's four years before his birth. That's the problem. He wasn't even there. It wasn't even conceived. The plan's not even rolling at this point. However, according to, the, according to this inscription, the second taxation was a special one, and the Jews resented it. In other words, hey, come on, you keep taxing us. What's going on with this thing, you know? And so they sent uh, delegates <coughs> to Rome to protest. There was a long delay, and you know how that goes if you try to get anything through the government. It was a long delay. Finally, it passed four years later, and at the exact right time, the decree was given that all are to return to their hometown to register for taxation. Mr. Maldu wrote this, neither Mary nor Caesar, nor Roman tax collectors did the timing, nor were they in charge of the affairs. But the God who rules the world behind the scenes had his hand on the wheel, and he literally moved the peoples of the world and timed everything to the very day so that Mary and Joseph got into Bethlehem in the nick of time. God's voice can be trusted. This is a trustworthy saying. Just in the nick of time that Jesus, the chosen Messiah, might be born in the right place at the right time designated by the infallible finger of prophecy. That's just the way it is, folks. And, and every one of those things, Every prophecy in the Old Testament, just click them off, click them off, click them off. If one fail, the whole thing's done. But none fail. Not one thing has God promised that ever failed. It might take 4,000 years and people give up and say he's never coming. And at the end of the Old Testament, another 400 years when heaven is brass, nothing, zero. And then angels break forth. Absolutely incredible. So notice, 
It's trustworthy. Anybody can accept it. Christ, the promised one, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, comes into the world. Just think about him for a minute. The Messiah, the promised king. If you read the history of the nation of Israel, no, they didn't have a king for a long time, but they wanted one. Everybody else has a king, they pleaded. Everyone else has someone to go out in front of them. We don't have a king. We want to be like the other nations. We would like a king. So God said to the prophet, tell them that's not a good idea. It's really not going to work that well for them. I have a king, but they want a king. And so the king started coming. He gave them their request, but the Bible says he sent leanness to the souls. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you pray for. You might get it. And then when you get what you want, you don't want what you got. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it just happens that way. Be very careful. So the king started coming, and here they come, Saul, David, Solomon, and then they kept coming, and they kept coming. And then on this day, the season that we celebrate in this particular time in the plan and program of God, a king was born. Kings are not born. They inherit thrones. This one was born. Matter of fact, Isaiah puts it like this. A child was born, but a son was given. Oh. You, you see, when, when I read this, these words that Christ Jesus came into the world, that didn't mean he started in the world. That means he was already there. And now he comes into the world. A child was born, but a son, the eternal son of the living God. This morning we read it again in John chapter 1. He was the word. The word is the expression of a thought. The word came to show us what God is like, to express God. Uh, he's the image of the invisible God. And notice this word who was with God and who was God, who always was God and always existed in eternity past, stepped out of eternity into flesh. The word became flesh, John 1.14. You could see him. Colossians, the Lord Jesus is the image or he, sorry, sorry, he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What does that mean? That means you saw Jesus, he represented God the Father, God the Spirit, and himself in a bodily form. He came. Hmm. And, and so, but he didn't start to exist at that moment. He came from eternity past. He came into time. And, and so his name is called Jesus which means God with us. What kind of a man is this God-man? The, the Lord Jesus was with his disciples one day and we were crossing the Sea of Galilee. And it was a storm and the Lord was asleep and they got excited and all kind of things went on there. And finally, uh, they woke him up as though he had to be awakened. <laughs> they woke him up and uh, he stood in the uh, bow of that little boat and he said to winds and waves, he said, uh, uh, that, that's enough. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, that, that, that's enough. Peace, be still. <laughs> Wind and wave, obey. It's like that. You know what they said when they saw that? 
what manner of man is this? Kind of interesting, that word, what manner of man? You look that word up, it means, where did he come from? <laughs> He's not from around here, you know. <laughs> well, certainly he wasn't. He came from heaven. He's creator. He speaks and things happen. Trees wither and fruit dies and demons run and hide and all kind of things. Listen, someone has written these words about this man, this this man who's not from around here, the God-man, caring enough to leave heaven, willing to come to the earth. That's what kind of a man he was. Prophetically speaking, in prophetic language, we hear these words in the Old Testament. Who shall go for me? And we hear the answer. Here am I. Send me. The Lord Jesus wasn't shamed into coming. He willingly came. The Lord Jesus loved you enough. Listen, he's got everything in heaven. Everything. He, he, he needs nothing. And he gives it all up and condescends. He comes down. That's true Christianity, you know. Religion is man trying to get to God. Christianity is God getting to man. Coming down, I'm coming down, I'm coming down to bridge the gap. And this God-man, uh, caring enough to leave, cared enough to leave heaven, willing to come to the earth. Uh, here's another one. In weakness on his mother's breast, the one who created heaven and earth. Imagine it. A, a helpless babe. I don't know if you've been reading through the minor prophets or not. You're getting to the end of your Bible reading for the year. If you're in those minor prophets, it's like brutal. This is like really bad. Just like you don't want to read that before you go to bed at night. You do not want to read that. You love nightmares. And, and one of the things that they did, and I say this carefully and with, certainly with no humor, is one of the things is when the enemy came into Jerusalem, they took their babies and they bashed their heads against the stone. Why? They're helpless. They're helpless. They can't have, a little baby can't help themselves. In weakness on his mother's breast, the one who created heaven and earth. In his youth, he confounded the teachers and the doctors in the temple. That would have been a day. Joseph and Mary are a couple of days away by now. Took him one day to lose him, three days to find him. That ought to be something we should think about that. It's a lot easier to lose the Lord than it is to find him. Be careful. But he's in the temple, and finally they find him. And he's there confounding the intelligentsia. A 12-year-old kid. In his prime, he's rejected by his own. Who, who is this man? Gentle enough to hold children. You know, <clears throat> generally speaking, now this is a Mississippi thing, so I don't know how it works in California, okay? But generally speaking, children and dogs will tell you who the good people are. <laughs> Just the way it is. <laughs> I'm serious. If a kid won't go to somebody, you go, well, something's wrong with that guy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Because they certainly went to the Lord Jesus. 
on several occasions they were there, and the disciples said, yeah, we don't have time. He said, what do you mean you don't have time? Unless you become like one of these little children, you won't get in. You will not get in. You see, something about little children, adults are an authority figure to them. God help us in the generation we're raising that we still teach them that, okay? We need to teach them that, okay? But an adult tells a kid something, it ought to be like, that's it. It ought to be like, yes, I believe that. Like, they should be the figure of authority. And if you're going to have faith, then you have faith as a little child. You tell a little child, listen, you be good in the meat, and I'll take you for an ice cream cone when it's over, okay? And they go, at the end, what are they saying? I'm ready for the ice cream, <laughs> you know? I mean, they believe that, right? They believe I'm going to get one, you know? Unless you become as little children. He was gentle enough to hold little children. He was bold enough to confront demons. What kind of a man is this? Weak enough to pray for help. He prayed for help on several occasions, but the one you will remember is the night before the crucifixion. He agonized in prayer. He pleaded, help. Here's the creator. Here's the one who controls it all and holds it all together. What kind of a man is this? Praying for help. You know what God did? Sent angels. Sent angels. Wouldn't you like to be one of those angels? <laughs> wouldn't, you like to, wouldn't you like to be up there sitting on ready somewhere and God says, okay, it's time. Okay, I want you, you and you. I want you to go down and minister to my son. He needs somebody right now. You give both your wings to be an angel like that, I bet you. To comfort the Savior. Well, you can, you know. You can, you can be that. For as much as you've done it to the least of these, my brothers. You get it? As much as you have ministered to the family of God, you have ministered to him. That is his body. Weak enough to pray, strong enough to endure the cross. Well, would have been one thing John Philip said if he'd have just come to Bethlehem and went home. <laughs> would have been another thing if he went to Bethlehem and grew up when he's 12 years old, he went to the temple and he went home. Would have been another thing if he grew up in Bethlehem, uh, went to the temple, and for three years did miracles and had a great following, and then just went home. But he didn't. You see, he went all the way. Every step he took from Bethlehem's manger took him to an appointed hour. Several times he said, my hour has not yet come, so he continues his journey. But one day his hour came. That's when he was spiked to an old rugged cross for you. That's what he's talking about. Christ the Messiah, the King of Israel. Kind of interesting. King after king after king after king came. God says, okay, here's my king. You know what they said? We'll not have this man to rule over us. We have no king but Caesar. 
But he came. And he went to the cross. And this man, this God-man, strong enough to endure the cross. You read it in Hebrews chapter 12. It goes something like this, where it talks about the Lord Jesus. It says, despising the shame. He endured the cross, despising the shame. The word despise means to be little. Think, think little of. If you despise somebody, you make them look insignificant. Speak little of them. Psst, you're just nothing. You're despised. Despise, make little of. The, the word shame comes from a word that means disfigurement. Oh. We, we know the scriptures say he was marred more than any man. We know they plowed his back with whips. We know they plucked the beard out of his face. We know they mutilated the flesh. We know that. The scriptures are clear about that. We know they hung him on the cross with no robe. And, and, and in... His approach to the will and to the plan of God, he endured the cross, despising the, he belittled the shame. You know what he was saying? This is nothing compared to what I'm doing. This is insignificant. The shame. He endured. The cross. He didn't, he didn't go home. He didn't go home until his hour had come. And he fulfilled the plan. Okay, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I just got in my notes here. Um, Joe, aren't you glad he came for you? <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad he came for me. You see, the problem is, if he only came for sinners, you, you must admit that you're a sinner before you get in on that. Oh, he came for you. He knows you're a sinner. But you don't get the goods of that. You don't get the benefit of his payment. He's taking your place. He's dying for your sin. The wages of sin is death. Who dies? Christ dies. Who pays it? Uh, the, the wages of sin is death. Death is always separation. Always. In various forms. Physical death. Spiritual death. Eternal death. Who paid that, Jesus? And, and you know, I, I, I can't get it. I don't have this figured out. But some way, somehow, when Christ died on the cross, he took every sin that you have ever committed, every sin you're going to commit today, and every sin that you're going to commit as long as you are alive on this earth, and every other person, seven billion or so on this earth, and all that are yet to come, all that have been, all of that heaped on him, and he paid for that. He paid for that. There ain't anything left that you can pay for. There's nothing left. Oh, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to try to be good. I, I'm, I'm trying to make some favor, get some merit with God. But, uh, folks, you can't do that. All you can do is accept a gift. It's Christmas. I bet everybody hopes they get a gift. God says, I have a gift for you. 
The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's a faithful saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save. Uh, I won't go on and on, but when something is saved, it's delivered. It's rescued. How would you like to be rescued? If you were drowning, would you like to be rescued? Yes, of course you would, absolutely. If you were in a burning building, would you like to be rescued? Yes, of course you. If you were dying of any disease and they said, listen, we have a, you, you would love to be delivered. How about if your soul is separated from God for all of eternity? Would you like to be rescued? Christ Jesus came into the world to rescue And it's by faith. You admit that you're the sinner. And you believe that Jesus did it for you. That's why he came. The Bible is so clear. He came into the world to what? Save sinners. If you say, well, I'm not a sinner. Um, well, you just lied. So we know you are a sinner. <laughs> That's the way that goes. You know what I mean. And then. The apostle ends it off with this. Save sinners of whom I'm chief, he said. You know, I got thinking about that. We always think, yeah, he was a bad guy. He was killing Christians. He was, listen, he wasn't really that bad in the eyes of society. As far as we know, he wasn't a drug addict. He wasn't a criminal. He wasn't a drunkard. I mean, as far as all the things that we think he, we don't think he was immoral. He was a zealous Jew, and he believed that this whole thing was a farce, and they needed to get rid of them, those of the way, he called them. And yet we think that Jesus only died for the bad guys somehow, and we're not that bad. Of whom I'm chief. I suspect that there'd be many of us in this room this morning that said, if Paul hadn't have said it first, I would have said it. I would have said it. You see, if you can see yourself saying to the Roman soldier that drove the nails in Jesus' hand, if you could see yourself saying, uh, excuse me, uh, could I have a swing with that hammer? Just for, I'd like to drive one nail if I could. You'd go, God forbid, I would never. You don't know what you're capable of doing. But in the eyes of a holy and a righteous God, and none of us come up to the standard. So we need to be saved. How are we going to do that? Well, Christ Jesus came into the world. And, and could I say, just in the nick of time. Wow, that was close. They almost missed Bethlehem. But they got there. He could have almost missed the cross. But he got there. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he endured the cross, despising the shame, and completed the work of God. For who? You want something for Christmas and no better gift? Except God's gift, the gift of eternal life. And then you will know this promise. I came to give them life and to give it more 
abundantly. God bless you and Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, please take these scattered thoughts. Use them for the glory of thyself, for the lifting up of thy son. For we know that that same Jesus who ascended into heaven is coming back. And we've been reminded of the last words of the revelation. He said, surely I come quickly.